Section 10 of National Geographic Magazine, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schempf. An Expedition to Mount St. Elias, Alaska, by Israel C. Russell, Part 2. Narrative of the St. Elias Expedition of 1890, Part 4. Blossom Island. Our camp on Blossom Island was near a small pond of water, and close beside a thick grove of spruce trees on the western side of the landmass. The tents were so placed as to secure an unobstructed view to the westward, and they were visible, in turn, to parties descending from the mountains toward the northwest, whither our work soon led us. The sides of Blossom Island are rough and precipitous. The glaciers flowing past it cut away the rocks, and as the surface of the ice fields was lowered, left them in many places in rugged cliffs bare of vegetation. The top of the island was also formerly glaciated, and in part covered with debris, but the ice retreated so long ago that the once desolate surface has become clothed in verdure. Everywhere there are dense growths of flowers, ferns, and berry bushes. On the rocky spurs, thrifty spruce trees festooned with drooping streamers shelter luxuriant banks of mosses, lichens, and ferns. There was no evidence that human hand had ever plucked a flower in that luxuriant garden. Not a trace could be found of man's previous invasion. The only trails were those left by the bears in forcing their way through the dense vegetation in quest of succulent roots. Later in the season, when the berries ripened, there was a feast spread invitingly for all who chose to partake. On the warm summer days, the air was filled with the perfume of the flowers. Birds flitted in and out of the shady grove, and insects hummed in the glad sunlight. The freshness and beauty on every hand made this island seem a little Eden, preserved with all its freshness and fragrance from the destroying hand of man. This oasis in a desert of ice is so beautiful and displays so many instructive and attractive features that I wish the reader to come with me up the flowery slopes and study the interesting pictures to be seen from its summit. The narrow ravine back of our camp is festooned and overhung with tall ferns, shooting out from the thickets on every hand like bending plumes. You will notice at a glance, if perchance your youthful excursions happen to be in the northeastern states, as were mine, that many of the plants about us are old friends, or at least former acquaintances. The tall fern nodding so gracefully as we pass is an asplenium, but of ranker growth than in most southern regions. These tall white flowers with aspiring flat-topped umbels, looking like rank caraway plants, but larger and more showy, belong to the genus Archangelica, and are at home in the Cascade Range and the Rocky Mountains as well as here. The lily-like plant, growing so profusely, especially in the moist dells, with tall slim spikes of greenish flowers and long paralleled veined leaves, is Veratum viridae. These bright yellow monkey flowers, bending so gracefully over the banks of the pond, are closely related to the little mimulus which nods to its own golden reflection in many of the brooks of New England. The purple epilobrum, with now and then a pure white variety so common everywhere on these hills, is the same wanderer that we have seen over many square miles beneath the burnt woods of Maine. These bushes with obscure white flowers, looking like little waxen bells, we recognize at once as huckleberries. In a short time they will be loaded with luscious fruit. 
inviting couches of moss beneath the spruce trees are festooned and decorated with fairy shapes of brown and green that recall many a long ramble among the adirondack hills and in the canadian woods the lycopods equisita and ferns are many of them identical with the tracery on mossy mounds covering fallen hemlocks in the otsego woods in new york but display greater luxuriance and fresher and more brilliant colors that graceful little beech fern here and there faded to a rich brown foretelling of future changes is identical with the little fairy form we used to gather long ago along the borders of the great lakes asters and gentians delicate orchids and purple lupins beside many less familiar plants crowd the hillsides and deck the unkempt meadows with a brilliant mass of varied light in the full sunshine the hill slopes appear as if the fields of petals clothing them had the prism's power and were spreading a web of rainbow tints over the lush leaves and grasses below on our return to blossom island late in september we found many of the flowers faded but in their places there was a profusion of berries nearly as brilliant in color as the petals that heralded their coming many of the thickets inconspicuous before had then a deep rich yellow tint due to an abundance of luscious salmon berries larger than our largest blackberries the huckleberries were also ripe and in wonderful profusion these additions to our table were especially appreciated after living for more than a month in the snow the ash trees were holding aloft great bunches of scarlet berries even deeper and richer in color than the ripe leaves on the same brilliant branches the deep woods were brilliant with the broad yellow leaves of the devil's club above which rose spikes of crimson berries the dense thickets of currant bushes so luxuriant that it was difficult to force one's way through them had received a dusky smoke-like tint due to the abundant blue-black strings of fruit suspended all along the undersides of the branches let us not look too far ahead however wandering on over the sunny slopes where the gardener has forgotten to separate the colors or to divide the flower banks we gain the top of the island but so dense are the plants about us and so eager is each painted cup to expand freely in the sunlight at the expense of its neighbors that we have to beat them down with our alpenstocks much as we dislike to mar the beauty of the place before we can recline on the thick turf beneath and study the strange landscape before us the foreground of every view is a bank of flowers nodding and swaying in the wind but all beyond is a frozen desert the ice fields before us with their dark bands of debris are a picture of desolation the creative breath has touched only the garden which we the first of wanderers have invaded the land before us is entirely without human associations no battles have been fought no kings have ruled no poets have sung of its ruggedness and no philosopher has explained its secrets yet it has its history its poetry and its philosophy the mountains toward the north are too near at hand to reveal their grandeur only the borders of the vast snow-fields covering all of these upper slopes are in view in the deep canyon with perpendicular walls just north of our station but curving westward so that its upper course is concealed from view there flows a secondary glacier which forces its terminal moraine high up on the northern slope of blossom island but does not now join the ice field on the south streams of turbid water flow from this glacier on each side of the oasis on which we stand and unite at the mouth of a dark tunnel in the ice toward the south 
the barren gravel plain just east of our station and at the foot of the glacier from the north is the bed of a glacial lake which has been drained through the tunnel in the ice on our way to blossom island we crossed this area and found that it had but recently lost its waters miniature terraces on the gravel banks forming the sides of the basin mark the height to which the waters last rose and all the slopes formerly submerged were covered with a thin layer of sediment on the sides of the basin where this fresh lining rests on steep slopes there are beautiful frettings made by rills in the soft sediment the stream from the glacier now meanders across this sand plain dividing as it goes into many branches which unite on approaching the dark archway below the lake is extremely irregular in its behavior and may be filled and emptied several times in a season the waters are either restrained or flow freely according as the tunnel through which they discharge is obstructed or open the lake is typical of a class similar basins may be found about many of the spurs projecting into the malaspina glacier a little west of the glacier to which i have directed your attention there is a narrow mountain gorge occupied by another glacier of small size but having all the principal characteristics of even the largest alpine glaciers of the region it is less than half a mile in length has a high grade and is fed by several lateral branches its surface is divided into an ice region below and a neve region above it has lateral and medial moraines ice pinnacles crevasses and many other details peculiar to glaciers from its extremity which is dark with dirt and stones there flows a stream of turbid water it is in fact a miniature similitude of the ice streams on the neighboring mountain some of which are forty or fifty miles in length and many times wider in their narrowest part than the little glacier before us is long the more thoroughly we become acquainted with the mountains of southern alaska the more interesting and more numerous do the alpine glaciers of the third order become already thousands could be enumerated i will not detain my imaginary companion longer with local details but turn at once to the objects which will ever be the centre of attraction to visitors who may chance to reach this remote island in the ice looking far up the marvine glacier beyond the tapering pinnacles and rugged peaks about its head you will see spires and cathedral-like forms of the purest white projected against the northern sky they recall at once the ecclesiastic architecture of the old world but instead of being dim and faded by time they seem built of immaculate marble they have a grandeur and repose seen only in mountains of the first magnitude the cathedral to the right with the long roof-like crest and a tapering spire at its eastern terminus is mount augusta its elevation is over thirteen thousand feet a little to the west and equally beautiful but slightly less in elevation is mount malaspina a worthy monument to the unfortunate navigator whose name it bears these peaks are on the main st elias range but from our present point of view they form only the background of a magnificent picture later in the season our tents were pitched at their very bases and they revealed their full grandeur and fulfilled every promise given by distant views the rugged hitchcock range bordering the distant margin of the marvine glacier like the mountains near at hand and the rocky island on which we stand is composed of sandstone and shale but presents one interesting feature to which i shall direct your attention the trend of the range is northeast and southwest but the strata of which it is composed run east and west and are inclined northward as the range is some eight miles long 
these conditions would seem to indicate a thickness of many thousands of feet for the rocks of which it is composed yet the beds were deposited in horizontal sheets of sand and mud of very late date as will be shown farther on but the great apparent thickness of the strata is deceptive a nearer examination would reveal the fact that the rocks have been so greatly crushed that even a hand specimen can scarcely be broken off with fresh surfaces more than this the black shale exhibiting the greatest amount of crushing is usually in wedge-shaped masses which in some cases at least are bordered by what are known as thrust planes nearly coinciding with the bedding planes of the strata the rocks have been fractured and crushed together in such a way as to pile fragments of the same layer on top of each other and thus to increase greatly their apparent thickness in the elevations before us the thrust planes are tipped northeastwardly and it would seem that the force that produced them acted from that direction the apparent thickness of the beds has thus been increased many times what their original thickness was it is not now possible to say similar indications of a lateral crushing in the rocks may be found in several of the mountain spurs between the hitchcock range and yakutat bay but space will not permit me to follow this subject further turning from the mountains we direct our eyes seaward but it is a sea of ice that meets our view and not the blue pacific far as the eye can reach toward the west toward the south and toward the southeast there is nothing in view but a vast plateau of ice or barren debris fields resting on ice and concealing it from view this is the malaspina glacier on the border of the ice just below the cliffs on which we stand there is a belt of debris perhaps five miles in breadth which almost completely conceals the ice beneath portions of the moraine are covered by vegetation and in places it is brilliant with flowers the vegetation is most abundant on the nearer border and fades away towards the center of the glacier its distant border adjacent to the white ice field beyond is absolutely bare and desolate an attempt has been made to reproduce this scene in the picture forming plate sixteen the drawing is from a photograph and shows the barren debris field stretching away towards the southwest the extreme southern end of the hitchcock range appears at the right in the distance is the white ice of the central part of the malaspina glacier far beyond faintly outlined against the sky are the snow-covered hills west of icy bay the flowers in the foreground are growing on the crest of a steep bluff bordering blossom island on the south on the moraine covered portion especially where plants have taken root there are hundreds perhaps thousands of lakelets occupying kettle-shaped depressions a view of one of these interesting reservoirs in the ice is given in figure two if we should go down to the glaciers and examine such a lakelet near at hand we should find that the cliffs of ice surrounding them are usually unsymmetrical being especially steep and rugged on one side and low or perhaps wanting entirely on the other but there is no regularity in this respect the steep slopes may face in any direction on bright days the encircling walls are always dripping with water produced by the melting of the ice little rills are constantly flowing down their sides and plunging in miniature cataracts into the lake below the stones at the top of the ice cliffs belonging to the general sheet of debris covering the glacier are continually being undermined and precipitated into the water a curious fact in reference to the walls of the lakelets is that the melting of the ice below the surface is more rapid than above where it is exposed to the direct rays of the sun 
as a result the depressions have formed an hourglass as indicated in the accompanying section beyond the bordering moraines at our feet we can look far out over the ice plateau and view hundreds of square miles of its frozen surface at the same time we obtain glimpses of other vast ice fields toward the west beyond icy bay but their limits in that direction are unknown later in the season i made an excursion far out on the malaspina glacier from the extreme southern end of the hitchcock range and became acquainted with many of its peculiarities its surface instead of being a smooth snowfield as it appears from a distance is roughened by thousands of crevasses many of which are filled with clear blue water over hundreds of square miles the surface appears as if a giant plow had passed over it leaving the ice furrowed with crevasses the crevasses are not broad usually one can cross them at a bound they appear to be the scars left by rents in the tributary ice streams the stillness far out on the great ice field is immediately noticed by one who has recently traversed the sloping surfaces of the tributary glaciers it is always silent on that vast frozen plateau there are no surface streams and no lakes not a rill murmurs along its channel of ice no cascades are formed by streams plunging into the moulins and crevasses the water produced by the melting of the ice finds its way down into the glacier and perhaps to its bottom and must there form rivers of large size but no indications of their existence can be obtained at the surface the icy surface is undulating and resembles in some respects the great rolling prairies of the west it is a prairie of ice in the central portion not a shoot of vegetation casts its shadow and scarcely a fragment of rock can be found the boundaries of the vast plateau have never been surveyed but its area cannot be less than five hundred square miles the clear ice of the center greatly exceeds the extent of the moraine covered borders it has a general elevation of fifteen or sixteen hundred feet being highest near the end of the hitchcock range where the seward glacier comes in and decreasing from there in all directions from the summit of blossom island and other commanding stations it is evident that the dark moraine belts about its borders are compound and record a varied history far away toward the southeast the individual elements may be distinguished the dark bands of debris sweep around in great curves and concentric swirl-like figures which indicate there are complicated currents in the seemingly motionless plateau the malaspina glacier belongs to a class of ice bodies not previously recognized which are formed at the bases of mountains by the union of several glaciers from above their position suggests the name of piedmont glaciers for the type they differ from continental glaciers in the fact that they are formed by the union of ice streams and are not the sources from which ice streams flow the supply from the tributary glacier is counterbalanced by melting and evaporation if the reader has become interested in the vast ice fields about blossom island he may wish to continue our acquaintance and go with me into the great snow fields on the higher mountains where the ice rivers feeding the malaspina glacier have their sources End of section 10